flat falls back into place and nothing happens for another 20 minutes until you look up and see Joe standing sheepishly on his front porch, a check for the lawnmower in his hand and the crowd cheers and you and Joe embrace and everyone lives happily ever after the end. So today, instead of going from the beginning to the end of this short section of Matthew's 18th chapter, I'm going to take it in reverse. And I promise there's a reason, and it's because Jesus is intentionally bringing us somewhere in this story, and we often miss it because where he's taking us, we often miss where he's taking us because we get bogged down in the blueprint of the verses that come beforehand. That's what usually happens when we read this story. We think of it as prescriptive. This is how we're supposed to act. Here's the checklist for conflict resolution. We just do it this way. And while I understand how one can read it this way, it actually fully misses the point. The question to ask ourselves about this section of Matthew 18 is, in this part of the story, is Jesus talking about rules or relationship? I'm going to give you a hint. Jesus almost never talks about one without the other. And he usually only talks about rules as a way to honor relationships. And if you have to pick one of those two, always Always choose relationships over rules, and you will get closer to what Jesus is getting at. Bottom line, in this story, rules never take precedent over a relationship. So we're going to start at the end, which is the final verse of the section that Carol read for us that says, something you've probably heard before, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am with them. This has been, as many things in the Bible have been, turned into a trite platitude that gets painted on recycled barn wood decorations. And then we do that and hang it up on our walls and totally miss the point of Jesus' words in context. I know, context gets in the way of our cottagecore aesthetics, the nerve. How? What? The nerve. In context, Jesus is speaking about genuine authentic community, how we really live and just be people together. In context, Jesus is speaking about conflict resolution and forgiveness, but it is not individual. It is about the community of faith as a whole. I think a lot of times we imagine the life of faith as an independent study, now, some forms of evangelicalism have professed this to be the absolute truth by talking about a personal faith and a personal Lord, and boy, does our culture and our country set us up for this same kind of thinking. It's really an individualized system we've got going on here. It's in the very air we breathe. And I get it. I really do on my own. If it was just up to me, I would do this faith stuff really well. I am good at checking stuff off a list. The problem is as soon as you add someone else into the mix of faith, it gets way messier and way harder to do. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am present. Well, shoot, it's almost like Jesus knew people were going to be people. We're going to be 
messy and chaotic and hurt each other because that is what happens when you put two people who are unique and beautiful in their uniqueness in a space together. We are not the same and we show it all the time. Add another person into the mix, it just multiplies how messy it can be. So Jesus is speaking into this mess, into conflict, knowing that any time more than one person gathers, there will inevitably be conflict. So then what, right? I assume many of you, like me, do not love conflict. And especially the way conflict works these days, which is by winning, right? Fight to the death or the other person gives up, walks away, stops engaging. That's how we conflict these days. Now, obviously I'm not Jesus. I don't presume to know the mind of God, but I think like many other things in scripture, Jesus did not intend this to be used as a checklist. My favorite preacher, pastor, author, Barbara Brown Taylor, wrote a story imagining this as if it were. She did it to point out how ridiculous it is, so I'm going to read you her little scenario. Are you ready? Suppose you go to church with Joe. You sit in the same pew at church. You're in the same social circle. You know each other well. One week, Joe asks to borrow your lawnmower because his is broken, and you take it over to him, and he says he'll return it in a few days. A week passes, followed by another week. Your grass is getting tall. You give Joe a call and you say, hey, can I come by and pick up my lawnmower? And he hems and haws and then finally admits he lent the mower to one of his neighbors. And before the neighbor brought it back, his teenage son ran over it with the truck. It's a total loss. Joe shrugs it off, considering a tough break, says goodbye, hangs up the phone. You feel wronged. You just cannot let it go. You need a lawnmower. So the next day, after you've had a little time to cool down, you go over to Joe's house to talk it over. You make the offer that he pays for half of the lawnmower for the sake of your friendship. Joe is offended by this suggestion. He says he couldn't help it. Someone ran over the mower when it wasn't even in his possession. It's not his fault. You go home more hurt than angry, but also angry. So the next day you decide to pursue this biblically. You call two deacons from church and you ask them to go to Joe's house with you. And the next day after work, the three of you go knock on Joe's door, but Joe gets mad when you tell him why you are there. Why are you ganging up on him? You start to tell him you've reconsidered. And you know what, if you just file for the loss with your insurance company, if Joe will just tell them what happened, but before you can finish, Joe tells you to leave and he slams the door in your face. So then the next step is obvious if you're pursuing this biblically. You call everybody in the whole church to ask them to meet you at Joe's house on Saturday morning. And since you doubt that he will come to the door, you make signs that you hold up that he can read through the windows. The signs say, forget the mower, Joe. We're your friends, Joe. And come out and talk. We have donuts, Joe. <laughs> on Saturday, everyone is there with their signs watching the dark house. Nothing happens for 20 minutes or so, but then you see a slat on the blinds slowly open. You can't see Joe through that tiny crack in the slat, but you pop 
you pop a little wave at him and you say hello, you know it's him, you smile, you beckon him to come out. The slap falls back into place and nothing happens for another 20 minutes until you look up and see Joe standing sheepishly on his front porch, a check for the lawnmower in his hand. And the crowd cheers and you and Joe embrace and everyone lives happily ever after the end. That's how it works, right? Anybody done conflict like that? <laughs> exactly, exactly. When you put it like this, thank goodness this isn't a blueprint, right? Good gosh, would we be in trouble? It honestly sounds ridiculous when you lay it out in this way like Barbara Brown Taylor does. I like to think that the rest of the story of Scripture shows us that when we have conflict, the goal is always reconciliation. But that won't always look the same. It won't always be the same. It won't always end the same. So then how do we handle conflict if laying it out like this is actually kind of ridiculous? We can't just not be in relationship with each other, right? Being together, being in relationship with people is kind of what it means to be church. Faith is not an independent study, right? And community is sacred. Jesus has been talking to his disciples about this very thing for a number of chapters now in Matthew's gospel. He is reminding them community is sacred. And it is sacred because where we are, their God is. Jesus says, can you see me in your midst? When you gather, I am there. Not in a, he knows if you've been bad or good, kind of creepy way, but can you bring your full and authentic self with you when we gather? Even in the midst of people being people, in all our glorious and varied differences that will inevitably cause conflict, can you see that as holy ground instead of a battleground? In one of my favorite stories from Lutheran pastor Nadia Boltzweber, she shared that when she used to lead a new member class at her first church, she made sure to say to people, I will disappoint you. And then she said, as a congregation, we will disappoint you. This is reality. It is exactly what Jesus is getting at with his disciples. When you gather, where two or more gather, it is messy, but it's holy. And staying together despite the messiness is holy. It takes courage to stick around in the midst of conflict and disappointment. Notice how earlier Jesus doesn't say, when someone in the church disappoints you, gather your friends during coffee hour and get them on your side. Jesus doesn't say, you know, when someone in church disappoints you, stop giving until you feel like they've earned it back. Jesus doesn't say, when someone in the church disappoints you, leave in a huff so everyone knows you're mad, but don't ever say why. What Jesus does say is when you're in community, I am there and it is holy ground and sometimes people are going to people and there will be hurt and there will be disappointment and how you respond actually matters. That's the Natalia Turfa translation of that verse. 
Jesus says, the end game is reconciliation. Do what it takes to stay in community. The goal is not unity, let's be clear, but community. We're not erasing difference. We are seeking to understand, to stay together. We acknowledge pain and hurt. We apologize. We make amends. We offer reparation. It will take at least two of you, maybe more, to do it. Love requires that we address the reality of being in community with each other, and that is the reality of conflict. Unaddressed conflict can render a community unable to function as God hopes for us. When Pastor Nadia wrote about her I'll disappoint you story, she said, if they choose to leave when we don't meet their expectations, they won't get to see how the grace of God comes in and fills the holes left by our failure. And that is just too beautiful and too real to miss out on. It's kind of the perfect text to have in front of us on this day at Prince of Peace. A day where we recognize the transition from summer to fall, from vacation time to school time. It's a call back into community, to be Prince of Peace together, to be the people of God together. It's a call to wonder what it means to gather and work together for the sake of God's love being known in the world. It is the perfect day to remind ourselves that where two or more are gathered, God is there. God is here. And this is holy ground. Amen. In the life of a pastor, we often get a text and we sit with it for a little while and there's lots of, you can ask Pastor Chad if this is true of him too, but I assume it's true of most pastors. There's lots of little mini sermons unformed that get dropped on the cutting room floor. You just kind of like, that was great, but it wasn't a full sermon. So I guess we'll set it down. But I had this thought this week that I couldn't, as hard as I try, turn into a full sermon. So I'm just going to use it as my closing instead. Here's how I decided to do it. Which is when, when God has promised for uh, when two or more are gathered that God is there. I was thinking this week, if we are made in the image of God, and I for sure am not God in this scenario, then maybe, just maybe the point of that verse, that idea, is that we are called to look for the image of God in the person we are sitting with every time we gather. And this place is where we practice doing it with people who are also trying and often failing to do that work of being a person of God. We are spending our time looking who we are sitting with, knowing that in the scenario, we're never Jesus. Remember, that's not, our, that's not our job. But we are all created in the image of God. And so maybe our call is to seek out that image in the person who we are with. So we practice here so we can try it out there. And we embrace the forgiveness that we receive in this place so we can also forgive each other. And that is what it means to be loved children of God. So do we take that truth with us as we go in peace to love and serve the Lord.